Hello there, ladies and gentlemen of the internet. It is me, Ryan, a.k.a. DeBoss here, with another episode of the BossCast podcast, coming at you live once again from the bowels of the internet and wherever you guys might want to consider this episode originating from. For today's episode, guys, I kind of wanted to do a gaming-centered topic that I've been thinking about doing for some time. But before we get into the topic today, which is uh, around a few indie games, actually, and the idea of indie games in the gaming market, I wanted to mention to you guys the next episode I have planned, I'm bringing on a special guest for the very first time since I've considered starting the podcast. So it's someone from YouTube, it's someone I've known for years on the platform, he's a very cool guy, but he'll be the first official guest here on the podcast, so stay tuned for that episode whenever it comes out. But with all that in mind, guys, be sure to check the podcast out on Spotify if you guys need an alternative form of place to check it out on. So with all that in mind, guys, let us get right into the topic. So the concept of indie games, for those of you who aren't aware of what this term may originate from, the concept of an indie game is a game coming out with a smaller budget from a smaller company, one that isn't really considered AAA, uh, people such as, um, just right off the top of my head for developers, uh, Sony, Nintendo, uh, Microsoft, like companies like that that are behind the PlayStation and the Xbox. Indie games are honestly some of the best form of the games I've personally played, especially within the past few years, and there have been some legendary indie games that have come out. I argue some of these smaller-scale games, even though you may not think so at first, are much better than a lot of other AAA games that have come out within the past few years as well, and I argue even better than some games that have come out in the past. So I kind of wanted to recount a few indie games that I've played that uh, I'm sure many of you listening to this have probably played in one form or another and just kind of give my experience on it. Uh, One of the big games that I remember playing um, last year was it's a game known as River City Girls that I actually really enjoyed. This is a side-scrolling beat-em-up game. Uh, It's originated from the River City series on the NES, which is also a side-scrolling beat-em-up series. Very prominent on that system. Uh, River City Girls is kind of a sequel-slash-spiritual successor, if you want to call it that, for that series. It's about two uh, high school students going to fight their way through the entirety of River City, trying to find their boyfriend's... um, Ricky and Cuneo, I believe their names are, um, after they receive a text message that says that they've been apparently kidnapped, and they basically go and, as the description of the game puts it, uh, beat up any suspicious character that comes across their path and attempt to find their boyfriends. So that pretty much summarizes um, the plot of the game. Uh, I really enjoyed my time with River City Girls. This was actually the very first real beat-em-up experience that I ever had when it comes to not just an indie game, but a fighting game in general. Um, I didn't really have much experience with fighting games, period. Uh, The one fighting game that I played early on uh, when I first got into gaming was uh, Bloody Roar 4 on the PS2. Uh, I may talk about that in like a Hidden Gems like uh, game episode or something if I decide to go through with that, but uh, that was the extent of my fighting game experience up until discovering more games from the beat-em-up genre. But River City Girls is in an old-school arcade format. Um, It has the visuals in this game are great to look at. It is basically in the River City style, but with more modern-day graphics, especially since it's running on modern-day hardware. It The sprite works great, the attack animations, the backgrounds, you know, everything about this game looks great. The soundtrack is a very unique kind of, I guess you could call it rock and, like, very slow melodic uh, tunes and whatnot that play in the background. It, it gets you pumped up to go and just beat up a bunch of people that come across your path. Um, so that's really good in that department as well. The story in itself is pretty simple and straightforward, even just from the description I gave like a minute ago. 
but it's full of really funny and witty dialogue, and the characterization for a beat-em-up game is really good. It was one of the more funny and quirky stories that's pretty self-aware of what's going on with it, and they just roll with it with the interactions between the main characters and the quote-unquote villains that you're fighting throughout the city itself. So this is a really cool experience for me, especially, again, for a real uh, first-time beat-em-up style game that I've played. The combat there is uh, really good, smooth to execute. Um, the big thing about this game is there is an upgrade system where you can go to a shop and purchase a bunch of different moves and whatnot that you can end up using. And this game, you can clearly tell, is implemented to during a certain time period because they even include certain trends that are really popular on the internet with some of the attacks, uh, one of which is a literal dabbing attack, where if you dab, you get to launch an opponent across the screen um, just by, again, dabbing on your haters, so to speak, I suppose. <laughs> as dead a meme as that may be at this point. But you can tell this game is deep-rooted with trying to emphasize a great experience when it comes to the beat-em-up genre, and I honestly really enjoyed my time with it. There wasn't really much I could really think of in terms of problems with it, the one thing that I know was a big critique of that game when it first came out was the ending, which I'm not going to spoil for all of you, but I will say the original ending before they made a, I believe it was DLC they released for like an actual canon ending, the ending was just unsatisfying and completely went against what the entire journey was about in the first place. Um, it kind of undermined everything that you were trying to work toward in finding uh, these two guys who were apparently kidnapped. So it, the ending kind of ruined that originally, but of course they had a DLC in where you you could go and get the true ending after beating a secret boss. So the the new ending actually is pretty good. It, it sums up the game perfectly and just adds to the ridiculousness of everything. But it was an overall really fun time. It, this isn't a game I see talked about a lot now. When it released, I think, 2019, I believe, uh, obviously the game picked up more traction then. But I honestly think uh, nowadays it should deserve some more attention despite the fact it's only been like two years uh, or going on two years, I should say. But I think it's a game that deserves some more attention in the indie scene as well. This is more of an underrated title. Um, the next few games, though, those are not underrated titles by any means. These are some of the most critically acclaimed indie games and games of the respective years that they came out, period. Um, one of the most prolific for me was Hollow Knight, which, uh, Hollow Knight is a very renowned Metroidvania-style game. Um, for those who are unaware, the term Metroidvania comes from the Metroid series and the Castlevania series. It is a huge map where you play as a character and you go through different areas, defeat enemies, uh, typically level up where you have stats similar to like an RPG. Sometimes you have weapons and armor to equip to help with your stats and elevate play styles depending on the weapons you equip. You also have something along the lines of, um, I'm trying to think here, it's a exploration where you find like hidden breakable walls and whatnot and you gain different power-ups. The big thing that makes the Metroidvania genre unique is with these power-ups you have access to go and explore other areas because certain areas for either story progression or just gameplay in uh, exploration period are blocked off until you have a certain power-up like getting a double jump to reach a high ledge or having an attack that allows you to bash through the ground in order to progress to like a lower level for example so that's what defines the metroidvania genre gameplay wise and hollow knight takes that concept very very well uh, hollow knight is about a knight who traverses this uh kingdom known as hollow nest and has to investigate what's going on um because this entire kingdom was ruined by a thing called the infection 
uh, which came and plagued all the citizens of this kingdom, and you're playing as the knight discovering the ruins of this kingdom and figuring out what has gone on with the king, with the infection, and the aforementioned Hollow Knight. I don't want to get too in-depth into this game, because there is a lot of lore. This is one game, uh, especially in the indie scene, that is not a straightforward story. This is the kind of game that you're going to have to explore, interact with characters, uh, find different tidbits of information scattered throughout the ruined kingdom you go through this is not a game that is going to hold your hand and tell you exactly what's going on it is not straightforward like river city girls is this game it requires exploration and requires dedication in order to figure out what's going on and hollow knight does this very very well for metroidvania um the emphasizing of the story just enhances the exploration aspect of it because if you want to discover what's going on you're going to have to explore you're going to have to gain the power-ups you're going to have to defeat the enemies and the bosses you're going to have to do all of this if you want to learn more about the lore so if you're not into that kind of storytelling this may not be the game for you but if you're into the stellar gameplay uh for the metroidvania scene then this may intrigue you to at least attempt to understand the story because Hollow Knight is a game that does not hold your hand either. Uh, Hollow Knight has different unique gameplay features that you may or may not be interested in, but personally, it engaged me for a while. Your main weapon that you use is a nail that can be upgraded over time. You have different charms that you can equip to gain uh, different abilities and quirks. You have a soul meter, which by defeating enemies you absorb soul, which you can either use for projectile attacks or to heal your HP. And it is honestly a very, very engaging thing, and it will always keep you on your toes, because if you run out of soul in the middle of a boss fight, and you die, well, that soul doesn't refill either. If you ran out of it in the middle of the boss fight, unfortunately, you're out of luck, pal, so you better be good at, at timing your dodges and being able to upstrike, downstrike, you know, that kind of thing with the nail. And Hollow Knight is, again, a, a game that does not hold your hand. This game can be very difficult in many different points. This game is notoriously hard for many of the different boss fights, and it is honestly something that, again, if you're not a huge fan of a challenge... This is, again, not the game for you, but if you're interested in testing out your abilities and learning the mechanics of the game, this is a very satisfying game. Hollow Knight, for me, is home to, I think, one of the most satisfying video game boss fights that I've played in recent memory, because when I had played Hollow Knight, I haven't beaten the game, but I've played most of it. The most satisfying fight in that game for me was the Mantis Lord fight. Just the timing, the precision, learning the pattern, striking the enemies at the right moment, and it's all smooth and satisfying to do. Even when I was constantly dying, because you have to face three different Mantis Lords, um, you face, I believe, one at first, and then you have to finish off the remaining two at the same time. This was the kind of game that I really, really loved doing something with. It was honestly a fantastic time. And I would never trade that experience because it was so satisfying to finally get down. Even when I died, it was never frustrating for me. I always wanted to get back in there and fight them. It was one of the most satisfying boss fights I've ever had. And Hollow Knight in itself isn't one of my favorite... It is a favorite indie game of mine, but I wouldn't call it my favorite by any means. But just from the gameplay, the exploration, the lore that this game has, this is definitely one worth playing if you haven't played it already. It is available on all modern hardware, and this game came out in 2017, so it's going on four years old, so not quite a old hidden gem or anything like that, but it is definitely a fantastic game, and one that if you're interested in the Metroidvania genre, if you're interested in riveting gameplay, I would highly recommend you guys go and check out this title. It is, it is a fantastic time. 
So the next indie game that I wanted to cover is one that is by no means an obscure title when it comes to the indie genre. This game originally came out in 2017-2018, somewhere in that range. This game is not only a fantastically acclaimed indie game, but it is also nominated for one of the Game of the Year conventions uh, for whichever year that it originally came out. I am, of course, talking about Celeste, a beautiful-looking game that goes back to that old-school indie, like, 16-bit, 8-bit style when it comes to the visuals. Of course, if you take a look at Celeste now, it doesn't have that arcadey feel like River City Girls does. Rather, it has that old-school NES feel, but with modern-day polished graphics, and this game visually looks amazing, and as well as the soundtrack, it goes for that really emotional, fantastic score. It is by far visually and musically fantastic, and that's a running theme with a lot of these indie games that I've been talking about here. They all look amazing, and they all sound great when it comes to their soundtracks. They all really fit. Now, of course, what stuck out Celeste differently to me was the story. This is by far, out of all the indie games that I've played and the ones I'm covering for these ep- for this episode here, um, this is the one with the best story by far. Celeste has an amazingly emotional story with this young woman named Madeline climbing a huge uh, mountain known as Celeste, trying to overcome an unknown... The game presumes to be unknown, like, mental, like, uh, health issues she's going through that involves anxiety attacks. As she's climbing this mountain to overcome this challenge, she encounters many different, uh, friendly faces as well as, like, an opposition, um, in the form of, like, an evil version of Madeline who tries to impede her progress. And all the while she's dealing with mental health issues as well as learning to accept and cope with these issues as she climbs this mountain on her quest to overcome this mental health issue. All the while, again, with the aid of several friendly faces she meets along the way. And this is a very emotionally engaging story. This is something that emphasizes the issue of mental health, which I I am a huge advocate for myself. I have dealt with similar issues myself in the past, and this game really resonated with me as a result of that, just because of the emphasis on the great storytelling with dealing with mental health, as well as providing a great story with Madeline's exchanges between different people she meets on the mountain, and just all of the subtle nuances that this game includes with different forms of mental health, like anxiety, panic attacks, the attempt to try and always please everybody, and downing yourself, you know, thinking that the world's out to get you kind of thing. Like, they emphasize all of these underlying themes and that's what makes Celeste so powerful in its storytelling. It is a fantastic time and I honestly would never change anything about this game's narrative and even the DLC that they added emphasizes even more themes of mental health like not being able to cope with the loss of somebody or not being able to accept that even though someone's gone that isn't truly the end of who they are or like their memory will still live on with the lessons they taught. You know having that acceptance of even though they're gone Part of them is still here with me, and it allowed me to move on further with my life kind of thing. And that's what Celeste does so, so well with the storytelling. Um, one of the other great things about this game, too, besides the storytelling, which for me was the big thing, is the gameplay. This is a hard game to get through as well. And I'm not even just talking through the story beats. The literal gameplay is all platforming-based. It is all environmental. There are no real enemies to uh, fight other than like a few levels, but you don't even directly fight them. You, it's all pure platforming. We have different moves that you traverse from different platform to platform throughout different environments going up the Mountain of Celeste, like through cities, where you go through uh, the caverns, you go through a ruined hotel, you go through a very luscious greenery environment. There's a lot of places you go through climbing up this mountain. And it is a hard experience, but I think that's the whole point of the developers, trying to make this a hard journey 
that will make it worth it to experience the story in itself. But it's also the theme of, like, Madeline overcoming her mental health as well and overcoming the challenges associated with that climbing this mountain, and they want the player to feel that. At the same time, though, they also don't want the player to get down and discouraged on themselves because no matter how hard the journey is, it is also a rewarding experience, which is why even when you die, you end up respawning instantly, and the game constantly encourages you through its dialogue and its in-game messages when you go through the loading screens to never give up, and you're doing great. And even the collectibles in the game, the strawberries, they only serve for a part of the ending for, like, baking a pie whenever you finally succeed in making it up the mountain. The game wants to emphasize, no matter how hard the challenge is in order to actually get these strawberries, you don't have to do it yourself. It is the kind of thing where they make sure you know it's optional. And they know the fact that, hey, if you want to go through this challenge, that's great. If not, don't worry about it. The story will still be here for you kind of thing. And that's the kind of thing that makes Celeste an amazing experience. Plus, if you want to go through the main game anyway, they have a literal assist mode where you can't die. You have infinite jumps. There's no delays. You don't have to worry about dying with precise platforming or anything like that. You can literally just cheese your way throughout the levels just to go and experience the story. The developers knew that there were people, I'm sure, that despite the challenge and you know how much people might want to test themselves or go the completionist route or anything like that, there are people that may just want to experience the story itself and personally i the platforming and the gameplay in this game is really good and it is definitely a challenge worth taking on i think but the story is the main thing that attracted me to celeste and it is still one of my favorite video game stories as a result of that celeste like overall is just a fantastic indie game and it is a must play for anyone who wants to experience this kind of great emotional story and or wants a challenge or is just really in to old school-esque platformers um, that are hard as nails because that is definitely what you'll get with this game but it is also a rewarding experience so i highly recommend you guys go and check out celeste and the last game that i wanted to cover for the podcast for today especially on the subject of indie games uh this game is a contender for one of my favorite games of all time and it is also i think nominated off for the official list from what i've seen about one of the best games of all time i am of course talking about the game that really pioneered the return of the indie game genre and that is of course shovel knight which released back in 2014 via a kickstarter campaign from yacht club games um which is one of my favorite video game publishers as a result. Um, not just because of other great games they've made, like Cyber Shadow uh, most recently, but because of other games like Shovel Knight, which is like the main affair. Shovel Knight is, picture a... I'm trying to even think what the best compared... DuckTales is like the thing that comes to mind when it comes to like the style of gameplay this game has. Uh, Shovel Knight is about a knight known as Shovel Knight who upholds the cult code of chivalry, uses a shovel as a main weapon. Throughout the entire game, he is going to defeat eight boss knights under the, uh, I suppose, uh, leadership of a woman known as the Enchantress who rules this giant tower in the land and is using these knights in order to conquer everything, and Shovel Knight has to go and take them down. His backstory, why he got involved in the first place, was he was originally a treasure hunter who was with his partner Shield Knight, and uh, when they go inside this giant tower uh, where the Enchantress resides, uh, they end up having an accident where uh, Shield Knight disappears, and uh, there's an amulet that takes her over, and there's quite a few things in this game that has Shovel Knight's backstory, but basically his partner goes missing um, throughout this because of this amulet, and and the Enchantress ends up being born. And Shovel Knight, thinking his partner's dead, leaves and quits adventuring. But later finds out that Shield Knight still uh, could be alive and goes to take down these knights. 
It's a very, it's a, the best way I can describe the gameplay is a combination of DuckTales and Mega Man would probably be the best thing. The difference is though, Shovel Knight has so many great quirks and moments. Um, the best thing that I could describe is you go through straightforward linear levels. Uh, the emphasis is collecting treasure, which you can use to purchase upgrades and power-ups for Shovel Knight throughout the game, uh, which are all great and work very, very well through levels, especially through optional levels and challenges. Um, you go and take down various enemies throughout the levels, and you get to pick and choose at certain points uh, which boss knight you want to take down first. Uh, prime example for me was um, the very first levels that you go through. You can either take on Spectre Knight or King Knight first. So you can't go and take on any of the eight all at once like Mega Man, but you can go and choose which path you take to go and take down the bosses first. And they each have their own distinct levels. Spectre Knight, for example, he's in a graveyard setting, and you'll encounter an environment and enemies similar to that in a cemetery. King Knight is in a castle, you know, in the town. Like, that's pretty obvious in itself, too, you know, in the name King Knight. And there's several other knights of the game that are cleverly designed and have unique boss fights as a result. Um, seeing here, if I can name all of them. King Knight, Spectre Knight, Plague Knight, Propeller Knight, Treasure Knight... Um, trying to think here. Some of the names are escaping me at the moment when I'm doing this. But there are eight other knights. I'm sure they'll come to me later whenever I'm done with this. Propeller Knight is another one, too. Um, you know, there's a few other uh, knights as well. But the point is, though, uh, Tinker Knight, that's another one. I'm pretty sure I'm missing one, though, still. But regardless, there are eight unique bosses that you can take on in this game before the Enchantress. And there's also a rival known as Black Knight that Shovel Knight encounters a handful of times throughout the story. And like I said, the story in this game isn't amazing. It is pretty straightforward. But the thing that makes this great is the dialogue exchange between Shovel Knight and the other knights. And just the personality and charm this game has. Especially with being self-aware as it is. Um, especially in the main town area that acts as your hub, so to speak. Where you go to buy weapons and you get upgrades and whatnot. And you get to interact with the townsfolk. And it's just a fun, quirky game that is totally self-aware, and there's so many unique and cool side quests in this game, too, that you can go through. Like a man that's obsessed with hats that you have to fight whenever you go to, because he really wants to steal Shovel Knight's helmet, or a mausoleum you go through and beat a bunch of ghosts, and only to find out that you're, they trapped you and they're deliberately to get rid of the ghosts, and your only reward from that is, like, one coin or something like that, but it doesn't matter because you gain a bunch of coins when you're in there. You gain like a few thousand of them when you're in the museum, so it's it's worth it still because the entrance fee to pay to get in there in the first place is crazy. But there's so many cool and unique things about this game that just makes it stand out in the story and characterization department, especially for a seemingly straightforward indie game like this, and it really serves well for the genre. I really love this game so much for that. I mean, the different power-ups that you even get, like you have an anchor attack, you can fish for, uh, there's a rod that you can use to fish at certain points to get treasure or health items. Um, there's a fire gauntlet you can use in order to bash and destroy enemies uh, with it. Um, there's all sorts of really cool and unique things that this game has that I think makes it stand out in the gameplay department. I mean, Shovel Knight all in all, though, is just a fantastic indie game. I had so much fun with this game. Uh, the only points that I really didn't care for it too much were the my least favorite stage was the Treasure Knight stage because of the different platforming challenges you have to go through, the insta-kill spikes, the uh, rafts that you have to ride on in order to get to certain parts of the level. Uh, it's just not structured as well, in my opinion. But, you know, that one wasn't fun, and my least favorite boss fight was Propeller Knight, simply because of his attack patterns, the cannons that fire on the, you know, the stage, how fast he moves, how bad the hitbox can be trying to get him because he's floating up in the air, you know, that kind of thing. But other than, like, a few minor grievances, 
this game is fantastic all in all, and I highly, highly recommend you guys check this out. I haven't played any of the DLC campaigns for the other nights, uh, Spectre Knight, Plague Knight, and, um, uh, King Knight. I haven't played any of those. Two are prequels, one's, like, an alongside story, a Shovel Knight story, but I will say, just for the base game alone, without the DLC campaigns, you guys definitely need to go and check this game out. It is fantastic. Overall, though, everyone, this has been it for this episode of the podcast. I just wanted to highlight a few indie games that I have played and kind of recount my experiences with them, what I liked about them, what I may not have cared for too much, but all four of the games that I've talked about today from the indie scene are all fantastic games, and for one reason or another, all of you, I recommend go and check them out on whatever platform they are available on. They are all totally worth it, with Shovel Knight being my obvious favorite, but my favorite story out of all of them is... I will say this, uh, if I had to rank them, Shovel Knight is the first, I would say Celeste would be my second, third's River City Girls, and fourth it's Hollow Knight, and just because Hollow Knight's fourth does not mean it's a bad game, it is a fantastic game and I loved my experience with it, but just ranking the four of them, that would probably be my final ranking for all the games I described today. So everyone, I hope you gained some insight into these games, and if you guys have any indie games that you guys would like to maybe have featured on a future episode for a gameplay uh, episode or something like that, uh, where we talk video games, you can send me a voice memo if you do wish, and we can talk about it, or at the very least, you guys can send me questions about anything in this video, any comments, or, sorry, I'm so used to the YouTube side of things. But you guys can send me a memo talking about the games, or you can ask me a question or something about these games, or really any comments you have on the episode, and I can try and get them featured in a future episode. So if you guys are interested in that, feel free to do so over here at Anchor. Otherwise, guys, hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Uh, follow the podcast on Spotify if you guys want to have another place to check out the episodes, and follow the podcast on there, because I know you can actively follow on Spotify if you guys want to be immediately notified of any future episodes that go up. Otherwise, you guys can just stick around and check back on Anchor every so often, but I would recommend checking out the Spotify link I'll put in the description of this episode. Otherwise... Uh, thank you all so much for listening to this. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed. Look out for the next episode where I bring on my first special guest. Uh, again, someone from YouTube I've known for quite a few years, so hopefully you enjoy our conversation. Otherwise, this has been Ryan, a.k.a. DeBoss, signing off on the BossCast podcast. Take care, everyone.